If you would turn to Deuteronomy 30, that's where we will begin today. For those who have been in the inquirers slash new members class, we have been spending some time in prophecy for the last few weeks. And the primary thing that we did last time is we talked about Isaiah 51, 52, 53. Uh, We are going to go through that again today, except more slowly. Review for those who were here last time. Uh, For those who weren't, well, still review because you've probably read it. And so our goal today, as I told them, is I actually want to get to Romans 10. All right? That's where we're going. We're going to Romans 10. Uh, But Romans 10 quotes Deuteronomy 30 and Isaiah. So we'll get there. Deuteronomy 30 is here-ish, 1400-ish B.C. Then we will spend a little time in Nahum, which would be somewhere between 722 and 587, somewhere in the, really somewhere in the, in the 7th century is Nahum. Then we're going to see Isaiah 52, which is going to be after the return from the Babylonian exile, right, essentially right at the end of that. And then, ultimately, Paul. So, 1400 B.C., making some stops on our way to Romans 10, specifically, where Paul explains something about why Israel is rejecting God. Right? That's where we're going. Deuteronomy 30. There's uh, three big sections here. And what has just happened in Deuteronomy 30 is Moses had just talked to the people essentially about the blessings of obedience and the blessings uh, that come from that God is going to give them if they're obedient and the curses that will come upon them if they are not. The ultimate curse being exile, being driven out of the land, taken as slaves. It is in that context um, when Moses actually says that's going to happen. That is what is going to happen. What's going to happen after that is Deuteronomy 30. So Deuteronomy 30. And when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, think Assyria, think Babylon, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey His voice, in all that I command you today, with all your heart, with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And when it says there, from the uttermost parts of the heaven, I don't think that's like a reference to resurrection or anything. I think it's just simply... You're at a place, and you're like, where's all my relatives? Because they got taken away. Well, see those stars way over there? They're under those. I think that's the idea. Of They're just like really far. All right? So, not just captive next door. Captive way over there in those parts of the he- under those parts of the heaven that are just not close at all. That's the idea. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. 
And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And we, we've seen that in both the Nahum and the, and the Isaiah passages, where it turns the curse around from the people onto their captors. So this is Deuteronomy prophesying, and we see it in Nahum and Isaiah, and we'll see it ultimately in, in some, some of these things in Romans 10. And back to verse 8. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all His commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, in the fruit of your cattle, and the fruit of, the, of your ground. For the Lord will take delight in prospering you as He took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes that are written in this book of the law when you returned to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So a prophecy by Moses, right? It's going to go badly, but you will be brought back. And if you obey God, you will be blessed. Any questions about that? Okay. Verses 11 through 14. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? That verse is quoted in Romans 10. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. What's the point of that? Real quickly. What is... What is he trying to say? They know what they're supposed to do. They know what they're supposed to do. It's it's doable. They're they're capable. Right. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, which they in fact did, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give them. Paul, reading this text, sees this as a prophecy, right? something that has in fact happened, and is in God's provision for his people that they would be able to in fact um, faithfully enter into the covenant. That what we were talking about. This commandment's not too far from you. No, no, no. Paul, all right, in Romans 10, is going to say, yes, God is in fact doing that for you. And he has an interpretation of these, this passage that we will see. So this is back here. Okay. 
The prophecy that they would in fact be disobedient and go into exile does in fact happen in 722. All right? And so if you would turn to Nahum. Nahum 1.1, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of, the, of Nahum of Elkosh. Who is Nineveh? Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, who destroyed the northern empire in 722. Something that is discussed in many prophets, including Isaiah 1-39. through So, by the time this has happened, the northern exile is over. It is, well, excuse me, not over. It is, com- it is completed in the sense of Assyria did it. God sent them in. And uh, what is ultimately happening in this book is that other part of Deuteronomy 30 where it says, and eventually I'm going to turn the curse against your enemies. That's what Nahum is. Nahum is God turning the curse against the enemies of the people of God. And Nahum is a a vision of the destruction of of Nineveh. Now if you would, in Nahum uh, chapter 1 verse 14, the Lord has given commandment about you no more shall your name be perpetuated. This is about Nineveh. And the house of your gods I will cut off. Right? No more shall your uh, name be sown. We talked about that before. Right? I'm, he's saying, I'm going to wipe you out. Right? And this is talking about the, the Syria. And uh, the house of your gods I will cut off the carved image and the middle image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. All right, and who did this? It was actually Babylon and Medes in conjunction attacked the Assyrians and defeated them. And so God turned the curse upon his enemies. Verse 15, Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feast, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. So this is a promise. Not to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom is still in exile. This is a promise specifically to Judah to say, you do not have to worry about the Assyrians anymore. Because the Assyrians, if you recall our history, did in fact attack Judah after they defeated the northern empire. All right? We talked about this recently in relation to, relationship to a psalm. But God defeated them. All right? And here is Nahum saying, Judah, keep your feasts. It's okay. This wicked nation will, will no longer bother you anymore. And you've got that, behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news. So this is Nahum. And the thing that, that got us on this, um, I think, very interesting rabbit trail is that phrase, behold the feet of him who is running on the mountains, bringing a message. What's the message? The destruction of Nineveh. Right? This shows up in Isaiah as well. And that is quoted by Paul. So if you would turn to Isaiah 52. And we went through this paragraph by paragraph last Lord's Day. You got to read, all right? You got to read these prophecies connected. Because Paul, very clearly in Romans 10, reads Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 as a unit. 
All right, we, there's separate chapters for us. He would have just kept reading. There were no chapter breaks. He would have just kept reading. And Yes, okay. Here is a prophecy. All right, so 52 is a prophecy. And Paul read that prophecy and applied it to his time. So, Isaiah 52. Context. The context here is, once again, another exile has happened. All right? Um, this is lo- long after Nahum. All right? Jerusalem falls, 587, to Babylon. All right? There, many Jews are taken into a captivity, into Babylon. This is the prophecy of their return from Babylon. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem, loose the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. That same phrase happened, no more shall come into you the wicked, the uncircumcised and the unclean, in Nahum, same idea, all right? It's not a statement as we discussed last time. There will never be a wicked person setting foot in the city of Jerusalem again. That is not what it says. What it's saying is Babylon, that uncircumcised, unclean group. They will never conquer you again. Because, well, they're being destroyed. As they were. For thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there. Who's the first great oppressor of the people of God? Egypt. And the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. The second great oppressor? Assyria. Now we're talking the third great oppressor. Babylon. Now therefore... What have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? The rulers well, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak, here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. Remember, when a pagan empire defeats another empire, they think, we defeated you because our gods are better than your gods. Your God has been defeated. Here, what God is saying is, I'm going to bring you back. And here's what that's going to prove. That your God reigns, not the gods of Babylon. They're about to be cut off. They're about to be destroyed. And how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. What good news? The defeat of Babylon. The return from exile. Alright? Verse 8. The voice of your watchmen. Alright? They lift up their voice. We talked about this last time. What's the context? These are people sitting. Alright? These are people sitting in Jerusalem watching. Alright? They lift up their voice. They sing for joy, for eye to eye they see, in return of the Lord's Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Context shift. Now we're back in Babylon. Verse 11. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves. 
you who bear the vessels of the Lord. And what are the vessels? The vessels of the temple. They are bringing back. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. You don't need to hurry and run away. Why not? God's behind you. Babylon Babylon is not going to come attack you. By the time they leave, Babylon will have already been defeated. God is guarding them from the rear. They can go back. They can go back slowly. No chapter division, no subheadings in his Bible. Paul continues to read. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told of them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What's going on here? What's the problem? The problem is there's a bit of disbelief. God says, I'm going to bring you back from exile. I'm going to defeat Babylon. Come out of there. Don't touch the unclean stuff. Come out of there. Bring the vessels of the Lord. Take your time. You don't need to go in haste. God is protecting you as you go back. Watchmen, accept this good news. But what about 53? Who has believed what he has heard from us? All right. So Paul sees return from exile, right? Return from exile, I mean, Paul doesn't, for himself, does not care about return from Babylon because, you know what, they're not in Babylon. This, this is historically long, all right? 500, over 500 years before Paul, all right? But he's thinking about Deuteronomy 30, all right? We know in Romans 10, as we're about to read, that he's speaking both of Deuteronomy 30 and Isaiah of this passage, and he's combining them. And he's understanding when God brings his people out of spiritual exile. All right? He sees this and he goes, God's bringing people out of spiritual exile, but some are not believing. Some are having trouble with doubt and not quite in tune with what God's trying to do. So let's turn to Romans 10. Okay, yes, sir. Uh, that's not new, right? The reason they're in exile in the first place is because many of them didn't believe. Yes. Trust God. Mm-hmm. So now he's bringing them out and he's saying, believe in them. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It seems hard to believe. And you've got this servant, and you've got this servant that's coming out. And what's the status of the servant? All right, the servant is not coming out healthy and powerful. The servant is coming out beaten. All right, they've been in captivity. All right, we discussed last time. Is the, who is this? Well, this is Israel coming out of captivity, beaten. But who is it really? When Paul reads it, it's Jesus. All right, just like when they when Jesus was beaten, they go. He's not the Messiah. Look at him. He's he's bloody. He's beaten. If he was really the Messiah, God would have protected him, right? If this is really the chosen people of God coming back, really honestly, no, don't believe that. All right, that's that's the disbelief in Isaiah. In Romans, we've we've got the same thing. Now let's start actually in Romans nine verse thirty. 
Actually, let's go back to 27. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom, and we would have become like Gomorrah. Paul, here in this very important part of his epistle in Romans, is dealing with the problem of Israel's unbelief. All right, What's going on? Their Messiah showed up. God has started to save a whole lot of Gentiles. Right? The whole Gentile thing is a major discussion, all the way from chapter 1 all the way through the end of chapter 8. All right? God is saving all of these Gentiles. Chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11 is, okay, what's up with Israel? God's saving tons of Gentiles. Israel, some have repented. Many have not. And so here he's going back to Isaiah. And he's trying to explain this. He's trying to explain this from his Bible. Verse 30, what shall we say then? The Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. And that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so what Paul is doing... All right, is he is talking essentially about okay, why is Israel not believing? All right? Because God has made a way. All right, that's where he's going to go with this. God has made a way into covenant righteousness. All right? And this way is Jesus. All right? And so with God's way, the way you enter into that covenant, all right, is not by a law, all right, a set of regulations. It is by faith and faithfulness, faith in Jesus, all right? What's the problem here? Some of them have chosen. Instead, we will continue following the law and reject Jesus. That doesn't work. Amen. Chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, they don't understand. They're wrong. Right? They have a zeal. They have a zeal for, for the law, but they don't have a zeal, a true zeal for God. For the gospel. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. All right, let's stop for a second. The righteousness of God in the, in the book of Romans. The main idea of the righteousness of God is... Okay, here's a question. What's the big question of Romans? What's the big question of Romans? All right. Most typically speaking, from the Reformation, all right, you've got Luther reading Romans and he's reading the righteousness of God, and he says, "Okay, 
this is about God taking his own righteousness and imputing it. Right? That's how Luther reads the righteousness of God in Romans. Right? And Protestantism, by and large, has followed suit. I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's what's going on. I think it's not quite that. All right? I think what the story is here is, when it talks about God is righteous, what does that mean? All right? We've discussed this before. What does it mean for God to be righteous? For us to be righteous? Well, we have faith. We obey God. God works in us in His Spirit. That's, that's righteousness for us. What does it mean for God to be righteous? Yeah. He always does what He says. God has a plan. God has a covenant. He says, I will do this, and He will always do what He says. That is God's righteousness. He is a promise maker, and He always, always fulfills His promises. He is always faithful to His promises and His promises to His people. What you've got here in the righteousness of God is you've got ultimately a problem, which is God is faithful to His plans and will fulfill them, and some people are not accepting that plan. All right. So when it says here in Romans 10, verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they were not ignorant that God was a good God. They knew that. That's clear. They instead, this is not that. They're being ignorant of God's plan, how he was going to execute his plan. Instead, being ignorant of that, they choose to do their own plan. They stumbled in the like the the what happened in the previous chapter. They stumbled on the stumbling block. God's going to do this through Jesus? No, not the way. So they stumble, and instead they establish their own plan, and they do not submit to God's. All right. When it says there, they do not submit to God's righteousness. That's not. They do not submit to imputation. That's not the point. Doesn't make any sense. What it's saying is, they're not submitting to God's righteous plan. This whole big thing he's been carrying out for a very long time. And they're trying to establish their own. For, Christ is the end of the law, meaning not the cessation, though I think that's true for us. Christ is the goal. Right? The law was put in place to lead to Christ. So Christ is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, the promises that were given in Deuteronomy and all that was ultimately to lead to Christ. The problem is they're trying to establish their own. The telos. The telos, yeah. Teleology. It's discussion of what's the purpose. What is the purpose of a thing? Purpose of the thing, purpose of the law, is to lead to Christ. Now he quotes Deuteronomy. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That's Deuteronomy 30. And he has a parenthetical note. He's now interpreting. Why would you, why would you ascend into heaven? To bring Christ down. So who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. The point here, all right, the point here is no one needs to do anything specific other than believe because God has done it himself. All right? Men did not draw Christ down. It was not the covenant people of God's job to pull Christ down. 
No, Christ was sent. All right? It was not the covenant people's God job to go into to, to Hades, to go into Sheol, and pull Jesus up out of the dead. Nope. Also something that God did. All right? Remember, the point of this passage in Deuteronomy was, this is not too big of a deal for you. You can do this. All right? And that's what Paul's saying here. This is not something you even have to do. God sent Jesus. God raised Jesus. All right? All you got to do is believe. As it says here. Yeah. Jesus, what can we do? We might work the works of God. John, he said, this is the work of God. On the one whom he sent. Exactly right. And that's exactly what he says. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. And once again, he's interpreting that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right. So this is an explanation. What, how does this, what, what does this have to do with righteousness based on the law? Actually, his point is saying it's not. Moses was talking about that in various places, but this is different. All right. This is something that God has accomplished for us. All right. And notice this. Uh, there's a, there's a pairing that happens here. All right. Who will ascend to heaven to bring Christ down? Who will descend into the abyss to bring Christ up? All right. And then it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Jesus exalted. That's the up. All right? And that God raised him from the dead, that was him in the abyss. All right? If you understand both things, Jesus was Lord, and he came down. But then he died, and that Jesus raised from the dead. If you believe both. All right? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. That's part one. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Part two. So you've got like three different parallels. Alright? Coming down, coming up. Belief, 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 belief. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay? So he's, he's exegeting Deuteronomy 30. And, uh, by the way, just because you might have noticed, um, when you read your English translations in Deuteronomy 30, it'll say, who will go across the sea to get this thing and then bring it back to us? You don't need to do it. It is near you. All right? Here, he, does, he, he, he reads it as, go down to the abyss. All right? It's not a big deal. What was the abyss? The abyss was, was water. The abyss was the sea. Paul just, they were, they're often essentially equivalent in the Old Testament. So it's, it's a, really, it's a distinction without a difference. Alright, so what he's done now in this paragraph, because now he's going to switch back to his main theme. Alright, what he's done in this paragraph is he's, he's established that when Moses was talking, alright, when Moses was talking, here's what he's talking about. You can totally, totally get in on God's plan for salvation. Totally get on God's plan for blessing his people. Here's all you got to do understand that Jesus came down and then he died. And then Jesus raised, was raised from the dead. And then God has done all of that. All you got to do is believe. This is something that's doable. This is not outrageous. You do not have to somehow ascend into heaven to make the Messiah come down. God has done all of these things. But there's a problem. 
because this is the main subject of Romans chapters 9 through 11. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, first quote from Isaiah here, that's relevant from our reading earlier, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For as Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So he's going back, he's looking at Isaiah and going, Yep, we should have expected this. We absolutely should have seen this coming. Because Isaiah said it was going to happen. That the message of return from exile would happen, and many wouldn't believe it. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And this is primarily a statement about Judaism. This, this is the, the unbelieving Judaism. This is the primary focus of this whole section. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not see me, seek me, and I've, been, I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But as Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Turn to Isaiah 53, and with this reading, we will be done for today. Yeah. Yeah, there's a group that do not ultimately believe the message when they hear it. Uh, six, uh, sorry, Isaiah 65. Sorry, not 53. So yes, that's I mean that's why you've got Romans 9 sets up Romans 10. Right? Romans 9 is just like you said, there's a doctrine of election and there is a remnant. These are the, this is what Paul quotes at the very end of his discussion. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that is not called by my name. Who is this? It's people who are not Jews, right? This is talking about Gentiles. Right, because it's a nation not called by my name. Verse 2, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people. Now we're talking about Israel. Who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. A people who provoke to me to my face, continually sacrificing gardens and making offerings on bricks. And so this is Paul, again, reading, going back in Isaiah, saying, I don't want, this is not what I want to happen. I, I would... If, if it could work that I could sacrifice myself for Israel, I would do it. But it's, this is not, it won't work. Because this is what was prophesied. That the servant would come 
He would die. Most would not believe. And then what God would do is God would then go to the Gentiles and start saving them to ultimately make Israel jealous of God's work among them. And that is Romans 11. And so that's how Isaiah fits into that. We're out of time. Any questions before we dismiss so we can have a men's meeting? You've got to think of Scripture in these big, long stories, all right? And the reason why, because Paul, all right, when he's writing Romans, he's not like, oh, this is unprecedented. We never could have seen this happen. It's not Paul. Paul's like, it's written in a book that it would happen that way. Let me explain it to you. And he quotes Isaiah in Deuteronomy 30 and says, look, indeed, it didn't, in fact, happen just like the prophet said it would happen. So you've got to read your Bible in that there's a long arc of history there of God making a covenant and working with his people over time. That's how you must read scripture. And so, so when you're reading your Bibles, follow those little footnotes that say at the bottom, oh, yeah, this is a quote from Isaiah. Go read that thing, all right? Go read that thing and find out what whoever it is is quoting is doing. Why is he quoting that thing? Very important to do that. So, yeah. I, I think it's, definitely this has to do with the Jews, but if you elevate this whole concept, it's like every religion in the world, Christianity teaches there's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's Jesus. So God has sent his son. And, and the, the, the question for every person is, what, what think ye of Christ? Mm-hmm. And if you stumble at Jesus, there's no hope for you. Yeah. Yep. He's the only way. He is the only way. Amen. Thank you all. Let's be dismissed. So we can have our meeting and uh, we can do some little fellowship before we get together and worship. Uh, Jeff, will you pray for us? Sure. Yeah.